Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Patient No Longer podcast. I'm Brian Wynn, VP of NRC Health, joined by my co-host, Brian Donahue, solutions expert in NRC Health. And we're pretty excited about this because we're filming actually live on location at the annual NRC Health Symposium event. We're joined today by a fantastic guest, Mike Puckler, VP of Patient Experience for Christiana Care Health System. Thanks for stopping by and saying hi. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. This is fortuitous for us because, first of all, we're in person, and that's great, right? It's been a minute. What is this? It's amazing. Right. Uh, It's fortuitous for a second reason, too, because actually here at the event, Mike just gave a terrific presentation on feedback management and service recovery, and it's one of those things that we talk a lot about, these like moments of truth in healthcare, these events that just have great magnitude, and not everything is equal, right? Not every piece of the engagement is equal. You're an expert in service recovery. Maybe just talk to us a little bit about that. I think ideally it starts with hopefully not needing service recovery, (laughs) right? If your service delivery is exceptional, then not needing service recovery is the obvious first step. And then I think there's even an opportunity to lean into times where you know the patient or the family may be having a challenge, haven't expressed it yet, and kind of being a little proactive about it. You know, sometimes when you have somebody who's waiting for a while, for example, in any one of our care settings. Kind of leaning into that and being proactive with the service recovery, I think is an important step as well. So I completely agree. I mean, the best service recovery is to not need it. I I, I love that. Take that waiting room example. Consumers tell us all the time they have little to no tolerance for inconvenience for waiting, all those things. And we know that healthcare is kind of famous for making people do that. And so maybe you're in the office, you're a caregiver, you see somebody waiting. That's going to be potentially uncomfortable conversation, but an important one. Now, how do you coach your teams to go and have that proactive conversation about something that you can kind of tell isn't going the way that you want it to be? Mm-hmm. So we leverage the HEAT model first. Hear, empathize, apologize, and take action are the four kind of primary steps from a service recovery perspective. I think a big part of it too is around expectations and understanding the patient's expectations, doing our best job to appropriately manage those expectations. So you know, sometimes the wait is what it is for a reason, right? It takes some time to process a lab specimen, for example. That isn't instantaneous. And so I think engaging consumers and patients in that conversation around how long it's going to take just to help inform them about the process is an important step as well. I do have to think that I affected you on that, Mike, because he was in my concurrent session just a few moments ago talking about expectations. So I love to hear that. You said something in your session earlier today about anticipating consumer needs. And I love the way that you said that because you were tying it into the model of experience and recovery. But anticipating consumer needs is a phrase, going back to what you said, Brian, where we've heard everybody say, we gotta do a better job of anticipating these needs. And then you get into the noise of it, the event, the experience has started, and we're just back on our heels trying to survive. Tell us a little bit about, within your organization, Christiana Care, how have you been able to break through that and get more people on board with anticipation before the experience than just do the best we can during. So one of our behavior statements, our two core values are love and excellence. And one of our behavior statements underneath love, it's the first one, is we anticipate the needs of others and help with compassion and generosity. We're trying to kind of hardwire that in from a cultural perspective, just in general. The work is hard, right? And I think that's where technology can really be helpful for us. So some of those things where consumers have expectations around being able to do online scheduling, to make their own appointments, to do the virtual visit stuff, to not have to fill out the same paperwork over and over again. So some of those things, it's really, I think, about leaning into that consumerism a bit as a way to try to get in front of 
those expressed needs they may have. And you know that he believes that. And by the way, you said your mission statement and your values like effortlessly in a conversational tone. He's not <laughs> reading those somewhere. <laughs> I think we struggle with that. So let me ask you this. You've made an impact on this. You obviously were on our radar as a main stage speaker. We'll go into boardrooms, for example, and we'll really struggle. Not because everybody's not on board with that, but the love, the excellence, all those things. Everyone's got a different vision of how that should go. And a lot of times in those meetings, everyone forgets about the patient, their actual opinion on what that would mean to them. So tell us a little bit more on the organization. How have you been able to take what you know, you've internalized it, right? How do you spread that throughout the organization so that leadership or whoever it might be has a unification around that vision? The key is patient centricity, but from the perspective of you know, removing our own operational silos. Right? If you think about what a patient experiences in their journey, we can't think about it in terms of our own operational construct. It has to be from the patient perspective. And then once you do that, you're like, wow, we're making that really challenging. We have different phone numbers to call and various ways to schedule different services as opposed to that one unified experience. And so that's some of the work that we're embarking on is trying to really drive that patient centricity message throughout the organization. Brian, you've got a good phrase on this. I'm just thinking back to watching you. You've got a phrase about, I want to share that one and your perspective on that. It takes so much work to simplify and streamline things. It's easy to see how organizations are so big, like millions of moving parts. It's easy to see how we've created processes that are good for the health system because it's efficient. We know how to do that. It's only fairly recently that we've started to think about that. What is the patient perspective on it? We've made this very easy for us. The person who needs this service doesn't know how to access or how to navigate. And it's something that it's slowly being rectified. Talk about how Christiana Care has made that evolution to be more patient-centric or human-centric. I think I would start with, I don't know that it's actually working for us, right? So we have these operational constructs and silos to manage our business, but it's a low-margin business. Care providers, caregivers are oftentimes pretty stressed out, pretty burnout. You know, you hear from physicians and just the joy and satisfaction with work and what they do, I feel like is waning. There's more and more paperwork behind the scenes. So I actually don't even know that it's working for us either. We're at a pretty risky time in healthcare in that if we don't take consumerism and those tenants a little more seriously, we will see new market entrants that do and are expert in that space. So I think we have to figure it out. We talked about the cautionary tale all the time, right? There's yeah. lots of examples from other industries where maybe they were less customer-centric than they could have been. They designed self-serving programs. It's a dangerous spot. I love the candor here and the transparency Absolutely. because clearly in a situation where it works for nobody is not going to persist. It, mm-hmm. just, it can't go on and on that way. So that tells me that in most cases, we can actually be quite innovative in healthcare, right? I mean, we see it all the time in the practice of medicine, but even in the way that we approach customer design like that. So maybe when the hand gets forced a bit, when really these new entrants or non-traditional healthcare providers are in space and actually taking share and all that, maybe that is the catalyst. We were just talking about this earlier at the conference with a couple of other associates of NRC Health, you know, this idea of price transparency. Mm-hmm. It's a great example where we definitely don't have it figured out, right? And to comply with the CMS final rule, we've been taking the charge master file, the XML file, and like shoving it somewhere down the sitemap where no one can intelligibly find it, but we could say, we posted. And what was interesting was everyone talking about how now there's startups who can scrape that data because it's publicly available. It's not the consumer that's going to find it, but it's a third-party mm. company that can start putting it together, making yep. more searchable price indexes. So 
I'd have to hope too that you know we'll see that grow as we say, listen, we don't want to do it, but we might be caught dragging along because someone else has forced our hand. Consumers desperately want the hospital to be front and center on this. So if we've got a third-party app that's working for scheduling or something for pricing, whatever it might be, it feels like we're just so hesitant to put ourselves out there. We put their name out. All the telehealth portals in the last year who were overwhelmed and didn't say the hospital brand on it. It was somebody else, mm-hmm. third party. How have you been able to, at Christianity Care, I know you guys care about your brand. You see it as a resource. How have you been able to put that front and center? Have you had to fight some internal battles on that, of people reluctant to do that? Or have you been able to just say, no, we want consumers to see our brand in everything we do? So we had a brand refresh that was done maybe two or three years ago at this point. That was a big step for us. It kind of followed on from our core values refresh, which was about four or five years ago or so. That brand refresh really, I think, was our position around health and delivering health to our community. And not just healthcare. Not just healthcare. That's right. And especially in the community that we serve, we have that opportunity. We have a pretty significant portion of the market share there. So the idea of caring for our community is something that's pretty accessible for us. We have really talented folks in our IT teams, our CMIO. We're pushing this consumerism conversation forward. Even the price transparency point you mentioned, we have a pretty robust it's actually not hard to find yeah. on our website. And our CFO, Rob That's McMurray. That's as good as it gets in health. Yeah. Not hard to find is the goal, really, yeah. as compared to the standard. Even just the way to parse out the information, too, it's the clearest and cleanest I've seen. I know you love to check out hospital websites. It's good. <laughs> like, it's like real price transparency yeah. kind of content. So we're, yeah. we're leaning into this stuff. And I think that our whole organization and senior team on down kind of gets it. So we've been able to invest in those types of initiatives. Uh, Mike, I remember during the spring, we had an roundtable forum. You were part of that. The issue of price transparency came up and there was very different ideas on the spectrum of how an organization was going to approach that. An organization in Florida said that they wanted to disclose as the minimum amount of as possible because right. it was not in their best interest, they thought, to be overtly transparent. And Mike had a very different approach to that. As he just said, you know, try to make things understandable, make sure that people can find it and comprehend it when they see it. And you very much viewed it as a competitive advantage mm-hmm. for the brand, right? Because other competitors, you may be able to actually be more transparent and maybe even price beat them. Right? Yep. Yep. More I want to swing this back around to sure. this idea of service recovery, sure. right? We have a lot of data at NRC that shows that when we're looking at NPS ratings, essentially loyalists to a brand, we'll see loyalty increase for patients who have had a poor experience and have had that appropriately identified and resolved. They become more loyal to the brand, they rate the brand higher than people who had an okay experience to begin with. You can see what happens when service recovery is done well. And obviously, there's different types of clinical service recovery, right? They transitions home safely, they fill their script, all that kind of stuff. Then there's more experience related. How do you guys look at bifurcating the two and get different teams associated with resolving each type of alert? Maybe you talk a little bit about how you're sort of thinking about those. those yeah, sure. So... First, I think from a, a service recovery perspective, we are in the process. It, it's, it's work that we're still embarking on, but that's an everybody responsibility. I think it's easy for folks to say, well, I'm going to escalate that to my supervisor, right? Yeah. I have to get my supervisor to kind of weigh in on that. So if you can empower your caregivers, really have them feel empowered to do the service recovery themselves, that's going to contribute to a better work experience for them. You can address the situation in the moment versus having any kind of lag or challenge there from a core philosophy perspective is where we're trying to go. And then with the service alert process itself, when those things come through, 
We currently on the patient experience team are triaging those to the appropriate local leader. So if it's about the clinical care, we'll send it to the nurse manager, the unit-based medical director in the inpatient setting. If it's an environment of care thing, it'll go to facilities or environmental services. So we're very careful to try to get it to the folks that can most adequately respond to the challenge. I love that routing because I think sometimes that's the problem is we're, we're collecting it. We've got feedback and it sits and it sits in these little choke points. Like stuff. It doesn't yeah, get to where it needs right. to go and certainly not as quick as it needs to go there. You had flashed something on the screen that you use at Christianity Care. It was the Making Tomorrow Happen dashboard, which is like the first dashboard I've ever heard of that's actually a title that's interesting. <laughs> you know, these are our KPI matrix, you know, theme, whatever. And tell me a little bit more about that dashboard. Not just your routing of it, but your internal sort of reporting process. Who all sees it? Who's involved? What's the awareness level inside the organization? Yeah, so making tomorrow happen, we talk about that as our operating system. And so I gave you the first behavior underneath love earlier. The first behavior underneath excellence is we commit to being exceptional today and even better tomorrow. Our chief clinical officer came up with, so if that's one of our behavior statements, and that's the first one under, under excellence, if it's about a better tomorrow, how do you make tomorrow happen? So making tomorrow happen became the way that we kind of think about our process improvement structures. And so what you saw was a picture of our huddle board. It's a standardized huddle board for the entire organization. And there is the cascading kind of huddle process. So, you know, local teams will meet first thing in the morning. They'll escalate things up to the next level of hierarchy that they couldn't resolve at their own huddle. Keeps on kind of feeding up the chain, ultimately culminating in the system support and resolution huddle. And that's the one system-wide. It includes ambulatory practices, the three acute care facilities, all of our outpatient locations. It's the one at nine o'clock. And that section three, there's a key metric section. And we've decided for patient experience, our one metric we're going to talk about on a weekly basis is the NRC service alerts and how many are open longer than seven days. And that's a culmination of a variety of things, right? So if we're doing a really good job and we don't need the service alerts, There's less alerts to address just period. So there's less, hopefully, open longer than seven days. And then we're leaning into the service recovery and really kind of walking towards our problems. If we're addressing service alerts in a timely fashion, that's a key metric for us. I love the notion of that, walking towards the problem. Yes. And that's something I've been trying to think about how I can frame this to you because this very statement has gotten me in trouble in boardrooms. It's because of the way that it makes people feel to hear what I It always gets you in trouble, by the way, if that's a bad feeling. You know, you talked about leveraging technology to address service-related issues, temporary-related issues. Obviously, uh, we're proud partners of you to be able to do that work. So now knowing this technology exists, that it is so effective and it's so important at such a crucial time in somebody's life and their engagement with you and that experience, if you don't do this work, you're choosing to not know. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's that statement that gets you in trouble. You're choosing ignorance, essentially. And, and so uh, clearly, Christiana Care didn't, you know, you chose to know, Mm -hmm. right? But I'm sure there's some sort of organizational lift, maybe some heated conversations internally about making the move to NRC number one, but like this work, right? This process related. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Like how did you get everybody aligned and on your side of the table? Organizationally, we have the bias for action, but rooted in really deep listening and frankly, human understanding, right? As we're talking about here at the symposium. So that whole philosophy and mindset around, I really want to understand the experience and then have a bias to do something with the information that I have, you know, knowing it itself actually isn't sufficient. Once I know, now I got to do something about it. And Some people confuse the knowing for the doing. Yeah. Well, we collect all of this. That's, so you should see exactly. our dashboard. It's amazing. 160 cells on it. So we're doing our job, right? Right. 
And I think going to your original question, Brian, it's hopefully about better. It's about easier. It's about a more rewarding, uplifting experience. Let's imagine through the service alert process that you learn a process deficiency or something you can improve, right? right. And then you put that into place. Yeah. You're hopefully elevating your caregiver's experience, your staff experience. You're elevating the patient experience. You won't have those types of complaints anymore. So yes, it takes some time to do, but if we care deeply about patient experience, which we do, you kind of got to do it. You got to do the hard work. It's so true. apparent that you, your team, your organization does care so deeply. You're so connected to this important work. Everything you're saying is proactive. It's like we're compelled to do more. We're compelled yeah. to raise the bar. And I think that is one thing to be infectious. It would be like that spirit. Right. There's an intrinsic motivation. I think sometimes with dashboards or with these sort of programs, there's that external motivation. I need to comply with this. I need to get through. Right. I need to sort of deal with what's next on KPIs or what have you. I feel like you guys are doing the action because you believe in doing it. And then you measured that yeah. secondarily through the board. So I have a question for you on this huddle board. I love this concept. I'm like, Ryan knows me. I'm going to go back home and start you know, making ours for NRC Health. <laughs> so you talked about how you have our metric and service alerts being open longer than seven days. Tell me this. So in five years, mm -hmm. what's a metric that will be on that huddle board in healthcare in 2026 that is not on there today? Again, going back to our positioning in the market right. and really wanting to deliver health for our communities, it's going to be something around that. And it's yeah. not going to be a traditional quality and safety measure. I think it's going to be some kind of like, have we improved the quality of life in the areas where we serve people? But that's hard to measure, it right? Is. And there are, there are ways you can do it, right? right? But that's it's why like, you don't have it on there now. Yeah. So that I think like our ability to deliver health, finding how we can quantify that, I think will be on the huddle board. We're basically out of time, but we don't let anybody get away without a pay it forward moment here. So that's right. there's somebody new starting tomorrow. And they're the VP of patient experience for a large health system. Mm. Knowing what you know, knowing the traps that you've stepped in and the things that you've succeeded at, what's a couple pieces of advice you'd give to them? Don't allow yourself to get caught up scoreboard watching. I love to use an ice hockey analogy, right? It's like if you forecheck, if you backcheck, if you make the extra pass, if you spend more time in your opponent's zone, more often than not, now the puck bounces different ways, right? Sure. Ice hockey's kind of, kind of wonky, but more often than not, you'll look up and you'll be ahead on the scoreboard. Yeah. So it's kind of like, don't scoreboard watch, just focus on playing the game the right way. And it's key from a patient experience improvement perspective, like for your own function or department, but sure. also for your caregivers and your staff, yeah. right? If you're always kind of leading folks through the numbers, as opposed to the practice, like it's about the practice. And I think that being a key focus is something that would serve us all well, I feel That's like. good advice for a first-day person. Really? I mean, it's, it's good advice in general, even for us on day yeah. whatever it is in healthcare. By the way, I have to point out, you've done such an incredible job in this setting. We've got people walking by. We have a harmonica because it's Nashville. <laughs> and then, a moment, I wasn't going to interrupt you because you were rolling, but a fire truck can make through. So healthcare, Nashville, it's all converging together. It's all happening. It works. It's all happening. Right here. It's That's, That's right. right. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you for that. It's tough when the metric becomes a mission. Right? Mm -hmm. you have to That's right. You have to back out when that happens. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for closing the presentation. Thanks for this conversation with Brian Knight. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it.